I'm Anna Healy-Fenton, and welcome to the fifth programme in the series of Peaks and Troughs. In the week that British celebrity chef Jamie Oliver came to Hong Kong and announced that he'll be opening a second restaurant, this time in Chim Sa Choi, we look at the risky business of running a restaurant in Hong Kong. Although Hong Kong reputedly has the most restaurants of any city in the world, it probably has the most failures as well. And that's largely down to the landlords, who seem to jack up the rent on a whim. And rents indeed are very, very high. So how much would you pay for a typical restaurant space here in Soho? I asked Chester Garuja of Buzz Concepts. I mean, if, you, if you're looking at Wyndham Street and if you're looking at the ground floor restaurants with, uh, say, three and a half, four thousand square feet, you're looking at a seven, seven digits figure. Seven million dollars. Seven digits. So, so from million up, let's say. One million up for just for monthly rent on a restaurant. Just for the monthly rent. That's a lot, isn't it? That does not include uh, any utilities or anything else to, to run a, a successful venue. So you've got to sell a lot of burgers. You need to sell a lot of burgers, and that seems to be uh, recently a trend. The, the burger joints are just popping up like mushrooms. After Everywhere. Rain. Absolutely. Um, you know, the, it, I think it started with, uh, with the butcher's club. Um, being very successful in, in both Aberdeen and Wan Chai now, now in Central so there's been quite a few other ones that are trying to take a slice of the pie We're talking of trends what are the trends are we seeing at the moment? Any new hot new places? Uh, definitely burgers um, there, is, there seems to be a revival of uh, people talking worldwide at the moment uh, about uh, fusion cuisine so I'm wondering whether, whether someone will go back to this uh, at the moment you know, all the restaurateurs and chefs especially trying to stay clear of the word fusion isn't that such an old cold potato it is but I think uh, you know, old is always coming the new New uh, and I think it's run its, its eclipse and, and will get back to us um, sooner or later in, in probably more refined form. But I think that the fusion kitchen will actually come back if, if it's going to reach Hong Kong this year or, or in three years' time. That's, that's, that's you know, another case. But I think New York is, is, is getting back on fusion, London is getting back on fusion, although they just don't call it uh, as such, they want to use the name contemporary or they, um, they want to see, say, merging elements of. But on the end of the day, the principle is the same. It's a, it's a fusion kitchen. There's usually more than, than two these days. Um, but I, I think, yeah, it's, it's there to return. So fashion recycles itself, even in food. And how Absolutely. about uh, other new trends? I see there's a new Brazilian place. Yes, um, Table, table side service and, uh, and apparently good value for money which I didn't have chance to, to try out yet but, what's it uh, called? Uh, Braza Braza and that's in Lang Kwai Fong that's in Lang Kwai Fong uh, by Dining Concepts I believe um, I mean I wish them all the best it's a, it's a great concept there, there have been similar places in Macau and, and of course all around the world um, Brazilian meats are, are generally high regarded um, as much as Argentinian, so I, I don't see a reason why it wouldn't work out. And with, with the all-you-can-eat concept, a lot of people, I think, will see a value for money, so we'll try, mm. probably. So what's happened to Mexican? Because that was all the rage not long ago. Well, now we're talking burgers. Um, you know, there is, there, is, there is nothing wrong, but people in Hong Kong are always on a quest for uh, the new trend or, or something new that they come up with, or they simply just get bored of you know the same food um there still is some 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 mexican places i mean brick house is, is as strong as it uh, as it as it ever was but um not sure if people just got too much of that 
I see. So talk about cocktails, if you will. What's, uh, what's new and trendy with them? Well, there is definitely a lot of international talent coming to town because um, the homegrown one, unfortunately, is, is a little hard to, to source. And the staffing is, is, is always a problem. So there is quite a few ideas coming to, with, with, those, uh, with those people. Um, there is definitely bottling of the cocktails and you know, artisanal craft beers, craft ciders. Um, and as much as you can get of, of homemade ingredients, everyone is, is long ago on that, uh, on that train. Um, bottling of the cocktails, tapped cocktails, and, and uh, what I would, would like to think, low-alcohol cocktails, which, which I have recently launched on draft. And who's drinking them? Because nobody has to worry about driving in Hong Kong. That's true, but if you imagine a situation of, um, of, a, of a lady friend waiting for her date, um, coming down to the restaurant, she would like to wait for, for other companion or, or companions to order a bottle of wine, so there is no point of drinking a glass of wine. Um, beer drinking women are in minority, and it's not usually you want to you wanna have a couple of martinis before the start of your dinner. So aperitivo or, or low-alcohol cocktails, wine-based cocktails, uh, coming back to slightly more bitter rather than, than the fruit bombs as, as in the 90s, uh, I think will definitely pick up. I see. I would, I would definitely like to think that, that pre-dinner drinks with, uh, with some bitter ingredient and, uh, and, and Italian in their appearance will make a big splash in Hong Kong sometime soon. That was Chester Garuccia of Buzz Concepts. And now to Harlan Goldstein arguably Hong Kong's nearest thing to a celebrity chef. I asked him, what is the average lifespan of a restaurant these days? Probably three to four years to push it hard, and then probably you have to change the concept and, um, you know, do something new. And the whole, the whole concepts now are people want more casual, more easy value for money. They want what they pay for. They want a great experience, and then they'll come back, and that's, that's the most important thing. So the days of the black Amex card being waved around are over? Yeah, absolutely. And the screaming eagle after lunch on a Friday? Um, that's, those, those days are all finished, and that was the era of 2004 when it got a little bit out of hand, and now people are really watching, um, being conservative. That you know they, they want what they pay for. So in high-end restaurants like Gold, where, where we are now, what would the average spend on a, on a dinner be for two? I don't think we're really high-end. I don't want, I, you know, just because we're called Gold. I have a three-course tasting menu that's valued at $580 with great ingredients. So I'm about giving value for money, keeping the customer coming back, and that's, that's the most important thing. So what has Michelin stars done for the Hong Kong restaurant scene, do you think? A good thing or a bad thing? Well, it, 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 certainly when it first came, it got a lot of buzz, and then it got a lot of negativity because they were giving stars to restaurants that people didn't really rate. So um, I don't know if it's really you know honored that much in Hong Kong. Um, does a customer really come to your restaurant because you're a one or two or three star Michelin? Um, not really. I think a customer has his choice. They know they come. They experience um, what you're doing, the food, the service, the atmosphere, the value for money. And then they're the star. They make their own decision. You're probably Hong Kong's best-known celebrity chef, if I may call you that. What do you think about British celebrity Jamie Oliver setting up a restaurant here and not even showing up to the opening? Well, he came a little bit late. He came eventually, but... Um, He's a novelty, he's a very big mega TV uh, star, media, 
so people know the name. Um, pretty cool the way he does everything. So I think people want to try his restaurant and, 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 and experience it. So um, it's something different. You know, Gordon Ramsay's here as well. And there's tons of overseas chefs that, you know, came here, but they're not even here. So, um, you know, let's see how long that will work and sustain the market. And, um, you know, good luck to them. Do you think Hong Kong people are impressed by these overseas glamour guys or do they prefer something homegrown? I think they definitely want to see it because they, you know, they've read about it, they've heard about it, they've watched it. So they definitely want to try it. Yeah. That was Harlan Goldstein. Who thinks it doesn't matter that Jamie didn't show up for the opening of his restaurant? Well, between you and me, Harlan, I believe Gordon Ramsay had something to say about that, and he did show up to the opening of his restaurant. In fact, as I was leaving Lang Kwai Fong Tower, I passed Gordon Ramsay's restaurant, so I thought, in fairness, I should really have a chat to them too, since I was soon to be off to Causeway Bay. I phoned up to request an interview, and all I got was an answering machine, saying, perhaps I'd like to send an email if I would like to make a reservation. Sorry, not today, folks. Meanwhile, down at Jamie's, they're a lot more friendly and approachable. William Lyon is the man at the helm there. William, why Jamie's? And why Hong Kong? Why? Because I felt that with the price point that I was told that his restaurants were at, the food quality, the ambience, everything else, I felt that it was something that the Hong Kong market would be very amenable and open to accepting. Right. So tell me about your site in Causeway Bay, because it's a big one, isn't it? It is a big one. It's uh, 7,000 usable square feet. The whole point for us, the James Italian brand, we are large sites. We need to be about 200 seats. We have, and the reason for that is because we take up a very large back of house area. And the reason for that is because a lot of our preparation is done on site. Everything is fresh. Everything is sourced as much as we can from uh, sustainable sources. Um, and we do all the preparation on the site, which means that the back of house team is huge, which means you need a big space um, in the back of house, which means the front of house is has to be large enough to have enough seats to be able to accommodate and support it. So you follow the gospel according to Jamie with fresh food and we all do, of that? We do. We have a very, very comprehensive audit system called Josie, which for every single food product that we have in the restaurant, we have to have an ability to be able to audit and trace it back to source. Very impressive. So, are you making money? We're doing well. Yeah, we are doing well. I mean, we've been very lucky with the site that we found and that we are very close to Times Square, so close to high footfall. We're in a fantastic new building. Um, we have a very, very good, supportive landlord, and we looked at forging a partnership with them for the long term. So, when you say supportive landlord, are you on a minimum annual guarantee, or what kind of structure of lease have you got? I'm not going to go into the specifics of the lease itself, um, because I can't. But what I would say is that for for a brand, I have found that most good progressive landlords in Hong Kong are not simply just after rent. The whole point about F&B business is that it does attract, if you've got a good brand or you've got a good concept, it does attract footfall. And if it attracts footfall, that means that's obviously what landlords want. Landlords want their buildings to be successful. And so I find my experience in Hong Kong is that actually really working with the landlord in partnership and understanding what they're looking for and how to best position our concept to fit that um, means that we've managed to secure now not one but two very good sites. So you're opening again another one in Chim Se Choi? We're opening in Harbour City at the end of May, yes. Also a similar size. So that's 6,000 square foot inside and 1,500 square foot outside. 
Now, the average life of a restaurant in Hong Kong it tends to be finite. So how long do you think you can keep the, the buzz around Jamie? I think as long as we continue to do what we're doing well, then I see no reason for it to end, to be honest. I think that all you can compare yourself to is other restaurants in the market. Well, Hong Kong has more restaurants per capita, I think, than anywhere else in the world. Yes. So on that basis, you've got to say that, that restaurants in Hong Kong will always survive. Will there always be a, a demand for Italian restaurants? Yes, I think there will be. Will there be demand for Italian mid-price restaurants? Yes, that serve good, fresh food with sustainably well-sourced ingredients. Yes, good accommodation, good service, sorry. Yeah, I do. So I think that we should, as long as we just continue to do it well, I think that Hong Kong people will um, want to come back. That's what we hope. Okay, now how many turns do you need to do per table per night? Because this is always the thing in Hong Kong. People don't like being kicked off their table after an hour and a half. No, we don't do that. Um, we make sure that um, we're busy. So, I mean, at the moment we're doing anywhere between three to five turns a day. Right, and how many covers can you do at a sitting? 220. So you're serving how many meals a day, would you say? About up to 1,000 a day. That's 1,000 people a day. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's busy. And any plans for China? We're certainly looking at China at the moment. We have no immediate plans, but we are speaking with some developers who we'd like to partner with up there. Um, and we're looking for probably Shanghai, but also Beijing as well at the moment. Okay. Now, this is a franchise, as I understand it. For people that don't, how, how does that work? Very simply, we pay a fee for the territory rights. So we have the exclusive territory rights for Hong Kong and China now, for James Italian and Jamie Oliver brand. And then what we do, they, we pay them a royalty on turnover, and for that, we get given the entire package, so the right to use the brand, menu support, all the recipes. We get given all the contacts for design, so we employ a design agency that has been appointed by them. Um, so we get, when they come over, they come over to opening, they do all the training, all that kind of stuff. So it's a very, very comprehensive package, and they are very, very involved, but in a very supportive way. And why didn't he come to the opening? Um, I don't think it would have in any way helped if he hadn't been at the opening. Um, there was already queues around the block. Jamie himself is the whole organisation. The reason why I like the Jamie Oliver organisation is because the man you see on television is reflected very clearly in the Jamie Oliver group, the business he's built. And the restaurant is very true to that as well. So I don't need Jamie. No one needs Jamie to stand in the kitchen to teach um, teach the chefs how to do it. He's laid down standards that are so clear. The recipes are very clear. They are simple. Um, the food sourcing standards are clear. The design, everything, the whole operating manual is very clear. So from an execution side, there would be absolutely no value in him being at the opening. He's not going to be in the kitchen and opening. So then you'd argue that the only reason why he'd be here is the press and the publicity. But actually, yes. if you look at the press and the publicity, there was already a lot that he's done sort of externally. Obviously, he did the Cantonese video, which went down very well. People already knew that we were going to come to the market. I much preferred to have him come when he did, which was one week ago, and see the restaurant in full flow, full swing, come and see the preparation for the opening of Harbour City and sort of get excited about our growth going forward. That was William Lyon from Jamie's Italian. Jamie, we're glad you could finally make it. And William, I wish you luck but it does sound a little bit like two countries, one system, with Jamie controlling everything from the menus to every last detail of the concept from London. Good luck with that. So from boundless optimism to harsh reality. Many people may have noticed that Fat Angelo's is no longer a feature of our city centre streets anymore. 
And sadly, Andy Shirovsky, the man behind the dream, is here to explain why it's no longer with us. So what, what specifically happened with Fat Angelos then? Well, very specifically, we had a situation where we had, at our, at our peak, we had six restaurants operating. Uh, I would say one of them, fair enough, was doing very poorly, and we shut that down, you know. That not, was the Jim Sachoy property? No, 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 that was fantastic. This was the Chung Kwan O property. Though. That was the one that never worked. It didn't work from day one. You know, we had we made an experiment there, see if we could put a big restaurant in a suburban community, basically. It didn't work. The other five restaurants were all doing okay. But in this market, okay is not enough. And what happened is we had a... a We've been in business long enough that we were coming to the end of second leases on a lot of these properties. Mm. You're coming to the end of, of six years of, of lease. In one case, nine years of a lease. Um, in the case of the last one, which is the straw that broke the camel's back, which was Chim Sa Choi, right. we'd been in that. Uh, we'd been in there for eleven years, and we lost the lease. Um, they jacked the rent up by how much? Yes, when I say lost the lease, we were looking at increases of 75 to 120%. So you just couldn't deal with that? Well, you you can't... You you certainly look at the situation and you, and you jot it all down on paper and stick it into your Excel spreadsheet and generate a pro forma or projection of, of your typical monthly P&L, profit and loss statement, and you you can't make it work on paper, not this restaurant. So the sums just didn't add up? No, no. Um, so you could say, well, here's the reason they didn't add up. You weren't popular enough because you weren't turning your tables three times a day. Right. You were only turning them 1.7 times per day. Um, your margins weren't high enough because your concept was too lowbrow. Those are fair criticisms. And those would th be things that perhaps if you had the sort of foresight that I didn't have, you would have adapted over the years. You right. would have seen this coming. And I think with restaurants, you know, you can't, you can't adjust the whole concept overnight. No, you can't turn in a dime, can you? No. Just and, we, you know, you could play a game. You could play a game with yourself where you say you could do this every six months. Say, okay, what's the trend six months from now? We need to start planning for it, like the fashion industry does. Mm -hmm. Right, we need to project out what's what what winter two thousand and seventeen. We're going to start working on that now. But you can't do that with food, really, no, not, can you? Not easily, not easily. So I mean, that's really there. You have it, and you know, I don't make I don't whine and make any excuses. At least not anymore. Kind of over that. Um, but if you do look back on it, and certainly if any of your listeners are considering going into the business, consider that it it isn't just. Being popular and having a good product and having a decent pro profit level ain't enough because you need to really foresee what's going to happen. Um, not only, say, the real estate market. Is this model going to work if your rent is doubled? Hmm. Um, and what are you going to do? Uh, what are you going to do uh, in the face of, let's call it stupid competition for the sake of, I don't have a better term, or the greater fool coming around the corner? So, uh, our very reasonable landlord in Central gets to be in his 90s, and his son takes over, who's less than reasonable, and wants to double the rent. Mm. So you say, no, there's no way we can make it 
And in fact, I can't make any restaurant work on paper at that rent. No. So then you say, well, who's going to take that site? But somebody does. That's Hong Kong, isn't it? That's Hong Kong. And, and more power to them. If you can make it work, I will take my hat off to you. And, but, but in general, we find, oh, for goodness sake, uh, the site that we got kicked out of in Causeway Bay is, is empty still. And that's three years later. Is that the Elizabeth House? Elizabeth House. The site sits empty. So you wonder, what's the economic choice that that landlord made? It doesn't follow, it doesn't follow anything we learned in college about uh, opportunity cost and, uh, and uh, maximizing the return on your, your investment or your asset. So because, in fact, we moved out of that place because all they wanted was 25% more, but we were still, we were just breaking even at, at the rent we had. So that broke. That was the straw that would have yeah. broken the camel's back. So for twenty five percent more a month, or uh, they lost a tenant that was paying them. So I, you know, I can't, I can't remember the last time I thought about it. But the site sat empty for three years. So they for, for goat, for went, three years of rental, which is in the double digit millions by now, in order to. Uh, save that 25% that they were trying to get. Makes no sense. So would you try another restaurant in the future? Um, why are you offering? No. What, what are the hours? <laughs> uh, to be honest, um, I, I, I have to say, having arguably in the business since I was 16 years old, and I'm mm. 51 now, um, I think uh, there's a, kind of a bad taste in my mouth. And not that I'm bitter, but I just, I don't see the killer concept. I don't have the killer concept in my head. Thank you, Andy Shirovsky. And good luck with your new career working for Black Isle in speech presentation training. And now for the final word, let's go over to Mr. Lang Kwai-Fong, Alan Zeman, who will tell us the secret of running a successful venture. Well, there's a number of things that are very, very important. Uh, rent, number one. Um, if the rent is very, very high, you have to have a really, really great concept or a brand. Um, those are things that are very important, especially in Hong Kong with the difficulty of high rents. Uh, that creates problems for many, many restaurateurs. Second thing that's really important is you have to have the right concept. Um, there's a lot of competition. Uh, Hong Kong is a city where almost every day there's new restaurants, new concepts opening up. There's, so there's a lot of competition. You have to be different. You have to be better than the competition. Um, the third thing is the product. Um, the product must be uh, a complete package. The food, if it's a restaurant, the food is very, very important. The chef, um, the, the price range, uh, you have to target who your customer is, who are you aiming at, and uh, and then deliver a complete package from the decor to the quality of the food to the price range. Um, and then the other problem that you have is that um, people in Hong Kong cannot exist on food alone. Mm. Uh, it's the bar that where the restaurateur makes the most money because the markup on, on drinks is much higher than it is on food. 
And so um, it's very important if you really want to do well, you have to have a decent bar or a decent drinks menu if you're a restaurant without a bar, uh, something that uh, is very innovative, very creative. Um, and so that will give you a chance to m maybe cushion some of the expenses that you have to pay. Right. Now, if the rents just keep going up and up, do you think restaurants are just going to go out of business, particularly in the central area? You know, uh, rents have always been expensive in Hong Kong. Maybe not as expensive as they are today, but uh, pro rata, they've always been expensive. Um, I think, again, the ones that are, it's survival of the fittest. If you mm -hmm. have a really good concept and all the, and you, you have everything that I just talked about, um, you have a shot even at surviving in Central. Obviously, many restaurants, as, you can, as we can see in Hong Kong, uh, are on upper floors of buildings rather than ground floor because the rents are a lot cheaper on an upper floor. Right. Ground floor is very expensive and many in the prime areas. Uh, it's just too expensive for, more restaurant, for most restaurants unless you have an old lease. Um, and so I think in the future more and more restaurants will be going on upper floors uh, unless somebody really has a brand and uh, can really do well. Right. Now, is it the case that a single owner-operator could, could manage or do you need to be part of a group for critical mass? Um, you know, again, it depends on the manager, depends on the owner. Um, it requires a lot of capital. Uh, mm. You need working capital. Um, you have some months that are good, some months that are slower. Um, you've got to be able to pay the rent and pay your staff. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it's important that uh, you get all that right. Uh, um, that's something, in my mind, uh, being able to work out the financial part of it uh, is is. is as important as everything else that I ma that I mentioned, um, and so um, you know, restaurant business is not for everyone. Everybody wants to be part of it. It's a some restaurants have a lot of investors, have a lot of people that yeah. uh, um, you know want, always wanted to have a restaurant, but have the side have a, another business, and this is a side business for them. What's that about? So many um, people want to have bars well, you and know, restaurants. Well, it's it, even the most the most the biggest businessmen in the world. Uh, everyone wants to have a restaurant. Thank you, Alan Zeman, and good luck with your Lan Kwai Fong concept, which I believe is being rolled out all over China now. Thank you, too, to all my restaurant friends this week. It's been very interesting hearing how the landlord can make or break you, literally. Next week's subject will be triad gangs, kidnapping and terrorist attacks. Foiled, thankfully. Yes, it's Hong Kong's murky underworld. So until then, have a great week. Bye for now. You're the cream of my coffee. You're the salt in my stew. You will always be my necessity. I'd be lost without you. You're the starch in my collar. You're the lace in my shoe. You will always be my necessity. I'd be lost without you. Most men tell love tales, and each phrase dovetails. You've heard each known way. This way is my own way. You're the sail of my love boat. You're the captain and crew. You will always be my necessity, I'd be lost without you.